Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning we are continuing our study in the book of Philippians. And of course we're in Philippians chapter 4. And I think that we come to perhaps one of the most convicting verses in all of Scripture. Now this is a verse that is uh, quoted somewhat and it is known by many. In fact, it's a very short verse, a well-known verse. But I really think that it is one of the most convicting verses, and that is Philippians 4.4. And we're going to get into that today, but let's first read Philippians chapter 4. And it says this in Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help those women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praiseworthy, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and have received and have heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress." Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches, in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The uh, brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We come to this verse here, and it's it's not a long verse, but it is an incredibly impactful verse. And that is Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, I I have to just tell the story a little bit of um, learning this verse for the very first time. And, and, And it wasn't um, coming in a time when, when I was struggling, rejoicing or anything like that, there's no, no, no funny story with that, but it was a time, um, I was 10 years old, uh, at the time in learning this verse. 
and my family was getting ready to go to family camp. And in order to get a scholarship uh, or aid from the church in order to go to this this Christian family camp, we all had to memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 8. And uh, that, that is an impactful passage of Scripture. But I remember this because, of course, this is the first verse in that passage of Scripture. And whenever it's the first verse, that's the one that you end up saying the most because, of course, you're going through and repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. And uh, it wasn't just me who had to memorize it, but it was uh, my mom and dad and a cousin of mine also was going with us. Uh, she had to memorize it. And so we, we, we all memorized this uh, passage of Scripture. And it really uh, stuck out to me, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because I heard it the most amount of times. And the way that my uh, parents, specifically my dad, goes and memorizes is by going and repeating it over and over and over and over and over again, which means he would go and say Philippians 4.4 4, over and 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 over, and over again. And, and so it was one of those where I got to hear that all throughout our household for a season uh, in in, a, in our family life. And of course, then this is a passage of Scripture um, that has always been imprinted on the my family's mind. And so it's one that, that, that when you do get a bad attitude or something like that uh, growing up, it was one that was often heard, rejoice the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And th this is important on a number of aspects. One is, like I said, with a bad attitude. This is a, a good reminder to not have a bad attitude. You, you know, I, the f it wasn't the first sermon that I ever preached, but it was uh, maybe it was either uh, the second the second sermon I believe that I that I preached. Um, it, it was from Philippians chapter two, but I was talking on the idea of attitudes. Some it was was actually on uh, Christian maturity, but I I went over the passage where it says do all things without complaining and disputing, and um, when looking at that, I, I talked about how at that point in time, the, the swine flu was the big you know, pandemic that was coming. And I said, you know, a bad attitude is more catchy than the swine flu. We could say it's more catchy than COVID now, which rolls off the tongue just a little bit more uh, or, or uh, more catchy than mind control from, you know, watching the media. One, one of those, those two things. But it, it's, it's true. A bad attitude is something that is contagious. And it goes through your sphere of influence, whether, uh, you know, that's that's in a household. If one person has a bad attitude pretty soon, the entire home will have a bad attitude. If you're in a work environment, uh, if one person has a bad attitude, pretty soon that bad attitude is going to spread. If you're in a a uh, on a sports team, it's the same thing. If one person has a bad attitude, it's going to spread. If uh, you're there in a school uh, in class, you know, if one person has a bad attitude, it's going to spread. The reality of it is, is that attitudes are contagious. And so the Apostle Paul, when going in, and of course he just gets done or or is in the middle of uh, confronting Iodia and Syntyche, in these two ladies who were disagreeing, um, and that we don't know what that disagreement was, but, but he comes to something that is important, and this is important both for them, but also for us to realize, and that is that we need to commit to having good attitudes. 
we need to commit to having good attitudes. Because if you do not commit to having good attitudes, it's going to bring dissension. It's going to bring discord. It's going to, to come in and it is going to bring bitterness and it is going to just absolutely not only drain a situation of energy, but it's also going to lead into sin. That's the reality of it when it comes to bad attitudes, when it comes to complaints, when it comes to disputing, when it comes to things of those nature, what ends up happening is that it leads to sin and most likely it leads to jadedness or what we would call bitterness is the uh, the, the proper term for that word. And with that bitterness, what ends up happening, of course, is uh, that unforgiveness ends up swelling up in the hearts of people, which of course is not like God because God is a forgiving God. And so the Apostle Paul comes out here and he's reminding everybody, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's emphasizing that. Do it once, do it twice, can do it continually. Have a good attitude. But this also brings us to an interesting truth and one that I don't think people often consider. And that is that the Bible is telling us to control our emotions. Now, I, I don't want you to take this verse the wrong way before I get into talking about controlling your emotions, because uh, I've seen people take this verse the wrong way as well. Um, you, God is very clear in Scripture that there are appropriate times to have certain emotions and inappropriate times to have certain re emotions or reactions. You know, uh, if you're at a funeral, you, you don't go uh, around saying, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Woohoo! This person died. Woo! You know, we, we don't go around saying that when somebody is is sick and ill and and, and uh, on their deathbed. We don't do that when uh, when somebody is falling greatly into sin. We don't go around and go, woohoo! I'm rejoicing in the Lord. You know, I've and I know that seems kind of funny to say, but I've seen people who kind of adopt that type of an attitude. I might be uh, a, a little bit hyperbolic here and using a little bit of hyperbole, but but the, the reality of it is, is that there are people who go and they take this and they don't really understand that this is talking about controlling your emotions and rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice as opposed to going around and having a, a fake excitement that doesn't care about the people around you. Because, I mean, Scripture's clear. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Well, can you weep and rejoice at the same time? And in one sense, yes, but in another sense, there's, uh, th there is a distinct difference there. And this isn't contradictory to say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And, and that is because joy is the key word here when it comes to the word rejoice. It doesn't say, uh, be happy in the Lord always. And again, I say happy, be happy. And that's because the idea of happiness, it, it, its root word is luck uh, or the, the concept of favorable circumstances. Whereas in joy is a choice that we make no matter our circumstances. And it has a lot more to do with being content in Christ than it does with going and having a uh, a chemical reaction or an emotional reaction to the environment around us. You see, every Christian should have control over their emotions. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have emotions, 
There are some people who take that too far, just, you know, go look at the Presbyterians. But if you go and you you understand this concept, this is so important and this is so powerful. If you can control your emotions and not let them control you, then your emotions can be purposeful and they can be powerful and they can be used to glorify and to worship God. I like to put it this way. Emotions make a wonderful caboose, but a terrible engine. You think about a train. If your emotions are driving you, if they're the ones that are leading the way, well, what's going to happen? It's going to be chaos in your life because your emotions, when they're leading, they're dictated by the circumstances. But if your emotions are a caboose in your life that you're going and you're saying, this is the reaction that I'm choosing to make. This is the choice that I am making, and this is the decision that I am making. And then your emotions come along in it. Then they become purposeful. Then they become part of a well-ordered machine as opposed to a chaotic, flippy-dippy kind of a thing. And the reality of it is, is that Christ had emotions, but his emotions were always a caboose. He wasn't being driven by his emotions. When he, uh, when he went and he flipped over tables and he whipped people out of the temple, do you know what he first did? He sat down and he contemplated and he made the whip. He thought about what they were doing and he made a decision that that was the right decision. When Jesus went and he wept, you know, it says Jesus wept. That's emotion. But if you remember, it was the, the, the story where, where they are away. Jesus and his disciples are away, and they intentionally, that he intentionally misses the death of Lazarus. And, and he goes and he tells his disciples, he goes, you know, Lazarus is sleeping. And they're like, hey, that's good. Let him keep sleeping. Maybe he's going to get better. And he's like, no, he died. It wasn't that his emotions were leading him. It's that he was making decisions based upon the will of God, and then his emotions followed. And that is how you should be. You shouldn't be unemotional, but you shouldn't be led by your emotions. You should be led by the will of God. And when your emotions are a caboose, then you can say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because there's an emphasis here that you are commanded and therefore you must choose to rejoice in the Lord. You must choose to rejoice in the Lord, which means that you're first making a choice and not letting your emotions make the choice for you. This is a powerful, powerful verse, a short one, but it is one that if you master, you are going to be incredibly effective for the kingdom of God. So rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let's close with Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart today. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We hold to the promise. There's nothing we can't overcome.
already